Italian Wine Podcast. Chin Chin with Italian Wine People. Hello, this is the Italian Wine Podcast. My name is Monty Walden. My guest today is Dr. Laura Catena. Laura is the director of the Catena Zapata Winery in the Mendoza region of Argentina. And Laura really is a doctor. In your case, what do you specialize in as a, as a medical doctor? Emergency medicine. In England, they call it accident and emergency, I believe. Okay, that's um very challenging job, I would imagine. Now, Laura, tell us about your your father, Nicholas, um, first of all, because he was instrumental in putting Argentina on the wine map. Yes. Well, he grew up in a winemaking family. You know, he's a third generation. The family was founded by my great-grandfather, Nicola Catena, who came from Le Marque to Argentina in 1898. Uh, my father had grown up in this wine family, but actually he wanted to be a physicist and um he was planning to go study in the United States. He'd gotten a scholarship from Argentina. He didn't want to go into wine. And he was supported by his mother, who was an academic. She was the headmaster of the local school. And she thought, oh, you don't want to go into the family business, which you know, was sacrilege in an Italian family because my father was also the oldest son. <laughs> and, um, and so he was planning to do something else. But actually... Uh, Sadly, his, his mother died in a car accident, and uh, his, his father was uh, so depressed he couldn't do anything. And my, my father, who was very young, you know, he, he was uh, 19, had to basically take care of the family for a year or two until his father recovered. And, and that's how he came to stay in Argentina, fortunately, because then he went on to, you know, revolutionize Argentine wine, uh, start exports of high-end Malbec, Cabernet Sauvignon, like really create the fine wine from Argentina category around the world. So he was obviously a man that was driven, but he's, he's very, very creative as well. Um, I mean, what apart from the, the fact that it really did put um, Argentina on the map, what are the just a couple of little details that you think were also key in 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 the importance of your family? Well, I think that each generation, you know, from my great grandfather making the decision to to emigrate to Argentina, to my grandfather who was actually this incredible blender, he could make a great wine uh, in magical ways. You know, he had his tricks like using grapes from Altamira. You know, and and winemaking uh, procedures. And, and he, he actually became a very important producer. And then my father had this vision uh, when he went to California and he saw that the Californians were challenging, you know, the French supremacy in wine. And he, and he said, I'm going to try and do that in Argentina and, and really make Argentine wines that can be with the best of the world. You know, today we have six 100-point wines. That, that would have been crazy to imagine 25 years ago. But in terms of your question about what... What are the the things that maybe led to this is I, I do think that my father was somebody that traveled a lot. He actually uh, studied at Columbia University in New York. He was born in a tiny little village, less than 500 people, but ended up, uh, you know, seeing the world and understanding what was happening. He is an economist. He has a PhD in economics. So I think he also understood that, you know, the future of his region had to do with fine wine, that wine as a commodity which, you know, that's what was happening with Chile at, at that time in, in the 80s. You know, it was very cheap wine, all the same. 
I think he realized that that was not a good future for our region. And I think you you mentioned the word uh, creative. And, um, you know, my father uh, is just an incredibly adventuresome person. You know, today he's 81 years old and he gets so excited about social media and the posts we're making. And, you know, nothing is too innovative for him. Um, and uh, so I, th- I think I think this this open mindedness, this desire to to try new things has been an, an important part of the of the DNA of our family and of the people who work at Catena you know, who are, are all incredibly inspiring and, and creative people. So yeah, I would say that that, that. And, and the last thing is what my father calls luck. He thinks that luck plays a very important role. I mean, it's interesting you talk about storytelling. Um, and what's interesting about the Catena story, it's, uh, it's, um, it's kind of like the story of Argentina, as well as the story of a family. I mean, is that can that sometimes be a little bit of a burden to you? Or do you thrive on that? The fact that you get this attention and almost all of the time you get incredibly good press because you you do an incredibly good job. Oh, I I mean, you know, for me, uh, storytelling is is uh, natural. Uh, and, and perhaps it's because I grew up in a family of storytellers. My father you know, who was working very, very hard when my brother and I were young. I have a little sister, Adriana. She has a vineyard named after her, our most famous vineyard. But she was, you know, 14 years afterwards. So when my brother and I were young, my brother Ernesto, every night we would never go to bed until my father arrived. We would lie in the bed, uh, put the lights down. And then for an hour, my father would make up stories and we would alternate, you know, from a Tarzan story to a princess story. It was a bit sexist, you know, <laughs> you know, the, the, but we each got to choose and my brother had to hear the princess stories as well. And, and I liked the Tarzan stories. And, you know, I grew up in a family of storytelling. Every night we heard this adventure and, you know, my father is, is so creative with, with his storytelling. So it's not that, you know, I sit down and I say, oh, what story I'm going to tell. I feel like everything that happens to me during the day is is out of a movie, perhaps, because you're seeing it that way. Uh, but I agree with you that telling the story in, in, a, in an interesting way is not so easy. And I do work on that because, you know, it can't be too long. People get bored. And, and you know, it's good to tell the stories that people might be interested in. One example is, you know, somebody, you, I always know not to talk too much about my children because nobody wants to spend an hour hearing your story about your child, you know. Um, in terms of um, what you did for the Argentine wine industry, um, obviously creating stories means often in wine the idea of terroir, you know, particular areas of the country or region um, that have different points of difference in terms of, um, in terms of wine expression. Um, you, were, you were real leaders in that as well. Just give us a brief comment on, on, Argentina, on Argentine regions as a whole and, say, Mendoza in particular. Yes, well, you know, Mendoza has ex- extremely diverse terroir because we have, you know, the equivalent of going from the Southern Rhone to Champagne in 45 minutes, you know, in, in just 100 plus kilometers, uh, because we're going from around 700 meter elevation to up to 1500 meter elevation. And in addition, we have different soils because usually higher in the mountains, the alluvial soils are, are bigger stones. And then further down, it's more clays and sands. So there are these very different terroirs. But in terms of storytelling, I tell you, everybody in Mendoza knows that the Malbec tastes different in each one of these regions. So we, we never understood when people are saying, oh, all Mendoza Malbec is the same. 
Uh, and I was just thinking, well, they need to come and see this. And, and I wasn't doing much about it, although it was hurting our category because people were thinking that Malbec maybe was not, you know, a grape of the pedigree of Nebbiolo and Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, you know, but it does have that, that capacity to age, to shine, to make terroir-specific wine. And then one, one day I got really pissed off because somebody asked me for the 10th time, what uh, is happening after Malbec and Mendoza? You know, I'm thinking, you know, this is a 2,000-year-old grape that my great-grandfather planted, his first vineyard. You know, why do I need to be thinking about what comes after Malbec? And, you know, I, I realized that actually it was my job. It was the job of all the producers in Argentina to explain this diversity in these regions. And, and that's what I've been doing, you know, for the last 15 years. Yeah, it's a little bit like going to Pomerol and saying, "Why? When are you going to get rid of the Merlot?" Exactly. Well, I, I, actually, you know, that time when when that person asked me, it was a, actually a French journalist living in Quebec. I actually said, "Well, would you ask Aubert de Vilaine uh, what they're going to plant after Pinot Noir?" You know, yeah. Although, actually, today with climate change, some people need to be having this this question. <laughs> I mean, is that because Malbec is quite fairly resistant to high um, heat and also to um, luminosity? Well, uh, so actually in the altitude, it's very cold. So uh, we are planting Malbec in zone one Winkler, which is close to the colder parts of Burgundy and some parts of Champagne, where you would never plant a Bordeaux variety. But because of the combination of the more frequent sunlight, you know, we have more sun, uh, there's not a lot of rain. So we get the cool climate with more sunlight, and that um, allows us to have very nice high acidity because of the cool climate, but good tannin development because of the sunlight that allows for the photosynthesis. And also, there is an effect of the plant uh, increasing the, the polyphenols in the skins to, as a protection against the sun that's so extreme at the high altitude. So um, I think that uh, many people think that Mendoza is warm, uh, yes, there are some warm parts, uh, you know, towards the east and the lower altitudes, but very quickly you go to this cool climate. Uh, so uh, for sure, you can make, you know, very age-worthy, very fine Malbec. We also make some beautiful Pinot Noir. There's just not that much planted. And Cabernet Sauvignon um, and other uh, varieties. Um, but yeah, it's, it, the, the cool climate is something that most people don't know because they imagine, you know... <laughs> South America has to be warm. So in terms of um, if, if people that haven't maybe tried um, as many Malbecs as you, um, just give us a couple of examples of Malbec wines that um, your family makes, from, mm. say different altitudes and different soils, and what the differences in taste might be, please. Yeah, so the first, you know, the, the general thing about Malbec is that it's a very rich wine. It's got a lot of fruit on the nose. Depending on the, you know, on the altitude in the place, more red fruits, more black fruits, more violets, uh, always has a little natural vanilla. So, so the actual Malbec grape has natural vanilla, in the, whether it's, it's made with oak or not. Uh, so it's, it's very aromatic. It's got quite a bit of density. But then the, the, the very main distinctive feature is that it's very smooth. Uh, regardless of where it comes from, whether it comes from very high altitude, lower altitude, it's got these very smooth tannins. In fact, when I read a lot uh, about French Malbec uh, in 18th and 19th century books, uh, they always said, never bottle the Cabernet Sauvignon alone. Please make sure you blend it with Malbec for the soft tannins. Uh, so 
that's a characteristic that Malbec shares. But now on to your question about different wines. So, you know, we have a, a wine called Malbec Argentino, which has a label that on the label, we tell the history of the variety through four women. It's it's a really fun label that um, has won many awards. You should take a look at it. It's uh, www.malbecargentino.com if you want to look at the packaging. Um, and this is a, um, a blend of uh, two vineyards, old vines, about 50 uh, years old average. And it's to me, it's, it's your very like rich, classic, um, you know, a bit oaky, like kind of the big wine, maybe, you know, what people think of as uh, the Napa style. Um, now, so that's one style of Malbec that you can make a little riper. Uh, and, and it has a blend from one vineyard in a warmer region, which is very old, and then one vineyard in the Uca Valley, a little cooler. Another wine uh, that I love to show people, actually three wines, are the three single vineyards from the Adriana Vineyard. This is the vineyard that we have the six 100-point wines from. And there's one called River Stones, one Mundus Vasilus Terrae, which means elegant microbes of the earth. And it's in honor to the microbes that we've studied in this particular parcel. And the other one is called Fortuna Terrae, which in Latin means, you know, luck of the earth. And these three uh, parcels are literally right next to each other, 1,500 meters elevation, different soils, some more stony, some more limestone-ish. The Fortuna Terrae is more sandy. And the wines are completely different, uh, yet, you know, they come from places, one right next to each other, a few meters away. And uh, these are more violet. Uh, they have more uh, black fruit. Uh, the river stones, you know, from these uh, very stony soils often have more texture and a little more tannin. The Fortuna Terra, I've often been told, tastes more like a Pinot Noir than a Malbec. And uh, then the Mundus is, is uh, I don't know, just the most beautiful thing. And, and uh, all these three wines are very age-worthy. So I think that those, you know, the, from the Malbec Argentino, the more ripe style, and the Adriana wines that are more mineral and more cool climate wines, I think those are very interesting. And then we have our classic Catena Malbec that sells all over the world that I call it my Chanel number no. five, because, you know, it's, it's, it's a wine that it's in every blind tasting, you know, master of wine test, they, they put it as, as a, you know, a wine to be identified as Malbec. And it's a altitude blend of four different vineyards. And uh, if you taste it, you, you will remember it because it, it, it tastes like Malbec. You should recognize it. Uh, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just smooth and beautiful and elegant mix of black and red fruit, a little spiciness, uh, very classic Malibic. Was your family maybe frustrated when the sort of craze, the, the sort of journalist craze in the late 1990s, the 100 point scores and these big wines coming out of Bordeaux that often tasted very unnatural to me? Were you a little bit maybe frustrated in Argentina? So listen, we can make these kind of wines very easily and very naturally because we have perfect conditions for these, you know, nice full-bodied Malbec. Did, was it frustrating sometimes that um, you didn't get the recognition then? Obviously, you've got it now. But was yeah. that a bit of a different period then? You know, I, I'm, I spend very little time on on feeling left out or anything like that. You know, I think for us, we were watching and studying, you know, th this is perhaps something that, that is another skill set of my father that for him, everything that happens that's good or bad is to be analyzed. You know, he doesn't celebrate too much the good things. He doesn't, you know, get too sad with the bad things. It's all part of the job and we have to analyze it. Uh, but I do agree with you that, you know, we did think, oh, wow, these wines are getting these scores. We should make wines like this. And we actually 
did try doing the 300% oak and, you know, we actually did some trials uh, to see what happens. And actually Malbec is a grape that really soaks up oak. So what we found was that if when we use this extreme oak, the fruit was gone. I think in, with Cabernet Sauvignon, if you have a really good Cabernet, you can put in quite a bit of oak and it'll still be a nice wine. But this this method of too much oak and too many ripe grapes, to me, destroyed the Malbec. And, and we realized that pretty early on. So we never really went on that path. On the other hand, I feel that I think that the world has become too opposite in that, you know, the sommeliers and the winemaking community wants mineral wines, high acidity, exotic wines, you know, that have, you know, sometimes, you know, even extreme features of some sort or another. Uh, and then, you know, consumers who spend a lot of money on wine actually do still like you know, ripe grapes and a bit of oak. So that's why, for example, we have the Adriana wines that are such specific wines from Terroir that we um, are very really careful with the oak. We never want that there be too much oak. But with the Malvega Argentino, we allow the wine to be a little more voluptuous, a little more ripe and a little more oaky. So my view is that there is a place for both styles in the world. What about um, other wine styles from Mendoza that don't involve Malbec? You know, just say, for example, white wines, for example. Oh, yes. So, you know, very little is known about the white wines of all of Argentina, but uh, we, we make incredible white wines. And in fact, uh, there's just as many white grapes uh, planted as red. Right now, it's probably a little more red, but there's been times in the last century that there's been many more white grapes. So you have, you know, a lot of really good Chardonnay because of the high altitude. And we have two wines, the, the Adriana Vineyard White Stones and White Bones that have, you know, getting so much recognition. We sell out every year. We release them and they sell out. And uh, we have the Catinalta Chardonnay. So I think Chardonnay from high altitude is, is a very special flavor. It has the minerality of the cool climate, but the creaminess that probably comes from the sunlight and the alluvial soils. So that's an interesting wine. There's also some really good Semillon in Argentina that came at the same time as Malbec and used to be co-planted with Malbec. So some people have made some really good uh, Semillon. Uh, we actually have this blend that we call white clay because it's from this area in, in Luján de Cuyo that has clay soils. That's a blend of Chenin and Semillon, which <laughs> I don't know that anybody does this. Well, maybe in the Loire they do... Do they do those two together? No, because Semillon is more for Bordeaux. It's a good, it's a good blend because you've got one sort of low acid grape and one with a little bit more acidity. Exactly, exactly. And we actually are coming out with this wine because we did some trials like about what could we do with the, the beautiful white variety we have in Argentina. And these two go really well together and they make this really refreshing white wine. Uh, so that, that's interesting. And then we have the Torrontés you know, which is a Criolla grape. It's one of these um, grapes that are some sort of, uh, uh, you know, permutation of the original uh, grapes brought by the Jesuits and by the, you know, by the Spanish. Uh, but then they've interbred in Argentina. There's hundreds of different kinds of native Criollas. Uh, and one of them is the Torrontes, Riojano. Rio, Rioja is a, is a part of Argentina, same as Spain, but it's actually an Argentine region called La Rioja Argentina. And this Torrontes, I think, is very delicious. It has, you know, these uh, terpene kind of aromatics, a little bit like Riesling, uh, and, and a, a nice palate, especially if it's harvested early uh, with high acidity. It's, it's just, you know, the most drinkable wine and very a little bit exotic. Um, I make ice cream with it, which I like. <laughs> you know, it's funny. You've got this very sort of, quote, masculine Malbec. 
Um, and then you've got the white wine that is a complete contrast, semi-aromatic, aromatic. And it's kind of uh, nature's provided um, the locals everything that they would need in terms of contrast, um, naturally. Um, so what about your family? Do you have a fa- um, Italian family roots? Yeah, so so my great-grandfather, Nicola, came from Le Marche. And actually, from my mother's side, um, her uh, grandmother came from uh, Liguria. So um, I grew up feeling that I was Argentine and Italian. You know, we even have Italian passports. But basically, we were brought up as as part Italian. The, being Italian was just as important as being Argentine. And I am also part Spanish, but somehow for my father, uh, because his grandfather had been so important to him uh, and the Italian side, uh, he felt very Italian. Um, All of us speak Italian. We've spent time in Italy. Uh, We speak it fluently. My my children speak Italian. Some of my siblings' children speak Italian. We go to Italy very frequently. You know, Maria Ponzi, who we did the little session about La Dolce Vita, for um, wine to wine, she also said the same thing that her family, you know, would every year go to Italy. It's like the, uh, it's like, um, you know, a peregrinaje. I don't know how you say that in English. Pilgrimage. A pilgrimage, right? It's it's a pilgrimage that 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 we we do pretty much every year uh, to Italy, uh, and um, I feel very at home in Italy. I, I feel like the the culture is quite similar to the culture in Argentina, and I think the same thing happens to the Italians uh, who come to, to Argentina. That's why we have a lot of Italians making wine in Mendoza, like more recent uh, Italians coming to Argentina. Yeah, well, that's what, I mean, there are many things that make Argentina an incredibly fun place to be in, but the the, sort of the Italian um, ingredient there is also another um, little bit extra. What's your, when you're in Italy, um, you're going to go out for lunch or for dinner, you can choose whichever food you want, but you're only allowed to drink a Malbec. Which is your favorite Italian dish with an Argentine Malbec? Ah, what is my favorite Italian dish? You know, I am like a fanatic of uh, bufala and the Italian tomatoes, which are so much better than the tomatoes anywhere else other than Argentina. But that's not good for a Malbec. You know what my very favorite pasta is the the pene alla matriciana because i like very spicy things and i think that malbec is one of the few varieties that actually can um you know stand up to to a spicy um uh, pasta sauce even a tomato sauce because of the of the sweet tannins which are not from sugar they are just a, a, a natural thing uh about malbec and the other thing would be osobuco i i mean i've always loved osobuco uh, and I think it, it goes extraordinarily well with uh, Malbec. But those those would be it. That's quite a rich dish, isn't it, Osobuco? It can be. Yeah, Osobuco is rich. And Malbec, you know, for example, this Malbec Argentino I was telling you about would go so well with, with an Osobuco because it's rich and it, it's got this texture. And, and um, you know, the, the thing about Malbec is that it's big wine with soft tannins. And there's not that many other wines like that, you know. And, and it has nice acidity, but not as high acidity as, let's say, a Nebbiolo or a Pinot Noir. So it's, it's just a very friendly wine, a, a very hugging. It's like a wine that hugs you. And so it's good for those, you know, kind of dishes that are, that are you know, like the Osobuco. Like it's, it, Osobuco is just so, so grand, so big. <laughs> Malbec is kind of cuddly. It's big, but it- it's cuddly. Yes, yes, cuddly. That, that is... That's like a very good word. I will use it, cuddly. 
Okay. Um, uh, I think we've done everything. If, if there's anything else you want to tell us, do tell us now. I mean, I know that um, there's a new winery project called uh, Luca Justo. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, Luca, uh, you know, started actually 20 years ago. It's my, my own uh, wine, but I, I basically look for old vines. And I started out buying grapes from growers that were about to sell their vineyards and were selling in bulk. And I started making these just amazing old vine wines. And uh, it's been around for 20 years. It's my own little project. And I, I, the reason it's named Luca is because my son is named Luca. And I couldn't come up with another name. So, but it's a good name. For you, what are your favorite little discoveries? Um, obviously, by having the Luca brand or winery, I mean, um, what extra areas of, of uh, Argentina did you discover via that? Well, uh, you know, for one, I discovered all these old Malbec vineyards that were on their way to being pulled out. And we really prevented a lot of Malbec from being pulled out because of just one winery. And then other Argentines started following and, and buying these grapes. And in fact, the other thing we've done is Every time one of these old vineyards is being pulled out, which at some point they have to be, we actually recover the genetic material and we replant it and we preserve it. So, so that's been part of the, the Luca project that you know, we also do with Cadena. Um, another thing uh, that I found was this incredible Syrah vineyard that was a massage selection brought from uh, the Rhone uh, in the 1950s by a researcher in the Argentine Institute. And he had planted it in his own vineyard, and we found this vineyard, and we make this Syrah that is just so beautiful and, and so age-worthy and, and just fantastic. Uh, and we're also preserving that uh, selection. So those are a few, two of the, of the gems. And then I also have a Pinot Noir project uh, that, uh, that I'm doing single-parcel uh, Pinot Noir from uh, the name of the brand is Domenico, which has been really exciting over um, the last two years. Okay, well, you're a very busy lady. <laughs> it's the definition of a, of a female multi multitasker. Thanks very much for for speaking with us today, um, and um, we wish you every success with all your projects, or even more success. And just thanks for all the stuff that you guys do and your family's done over the years. You know, when I, I spent quite a bit of time in Argentina, and it just had such incredible potential, um, and um, and it's so nice to see that that potential has has been accepted um, as a given internationally in international markets. And um, well, I think it's one for me. I think it's one of the best um, stories in the last twenty years that um, these fantastic wines, and also often very good value, um, incredibly good value for the quality that you get, um, is being recognised. And um, and your family without any shadow of a doubt, um, has, has created that. And so, um, and just the way you speak and the way you carry yourself, um, you know, you come from a wonderful family and I think your father um, is, a, is an exceptional man. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Monty. And è un vero piacere di essere in questo canale italiano. Mi piace tanto l'Italia. Allora, grazie per, per accogliermi. Tanto bene, ogni volta che vado in Italia. Grazie mille. Grazie a te, Monti. Ciao, Laura. Ciao. Ciao. Listen to the Italian Wine Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. We're on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Himalaya FM, and more. Don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. If you enjoy listening, please consider donating through italianwinepodcast.com. Any amount helps cover equipment, production, and publication costs. Until next time, chin chin.